Many years ago, a medical missionary, a doctor, physician, went to India uh, to share the gospel. And he was talking to a uh, fellow a physician about what it means to be a Christian. And the physician was a man who believed that the Ganges River was a sacred river, a place of worship. And so the missionary doctor took a drop of Ganges River water and put it on a slide and put it in a microscope, turned the light on, and asked his friend to look at the water. He looked through that microscope and he saw the bacteria and the filth that permeated the Ganges River. And do you know what his reaction was? He broke the microscope. He refused to see the reality. Now the great physician has come with the microscope of God's Word lighted by the Holy Spirit to reveal the Ganges River in our hearts. For all of us have sinned, all of us, and come short of the glory of God, as the Bible says. Paul continues, quoting the Old Testament, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their, with their tongues they have spoken deceit. Uh, lies are upon their lips. Their mouth is full of bitterness and cursing. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And destruction and misery are in their ways. That is the diagnosis of the river of sin that runs through all of our hearts and lives. Listen, we're all sinners by nature. We're all sons and daughters of old man Adam. We're sinners by nature, and because we're sinners by nature, we are sinners by choice. We're going to make some wrong choices. So Jesus Christ has come to cleanse that river within our hearts. Jesus Christ has come to take all of that stuff in our lives and forgive us and start us in a new way, walking with Him in a new and glorious life. But we have a tendency to reject. We have a tendency to rebel, to break the microscope, as it were. So I want to say a few words about the sin of rejection. That's what happened to Adam and Eve, wasn't it, in the garden? Go back and read the third chapter of the book of Genesis. God had given them a clear word and uh, told them what to do and what not to do. And the devil came along, and a quick parenthetical thought about the devil. Give him credit for this. He's a success at his chosen occupation. He knows what to do. He is a smart devil. And so he came to Eve, and God's word had been very clear to her, as it is to us. And uh, the devil came, and he began with a subtle, insidious question. He said, um, Eve, let me ask you something. Um, did God really say that you were not to eat of the, every tree of the garden? Question mark. Sow the seed of doubt about the word of God. Sow the seed of doubt about the veracity of the word of God, of Jesus Christ, the living word of God. Sow that seed of question. You know what comes next? After doubt comes disobedience. After disobedience becomes destruction. After that, despair. That's what happened to them. 
They rejected the word of God. They rejected the Lord. That's his tactic. And what did they do? The Lord came walking in the garden in the cool of the day saying, Adam, where are you? Where are you? And he found Adam. He said, Adam, what in the world have you done, man? What, what has happened? And Adam said, Lord, it's, it's really your fault. It's this woman you gave me. Uh-huh. And uh, the Lord said, well, now, Eve, what do you have to say about that? Said, well, it, it's, it's that snake. That's what did it. Always somebody else. Always somebody else. Always somebody else. Jean-Paul Sartre said, hell is other people. That's what we say, isn't it? Hell is other people. It's always someone else's fault. It's either because I didn't have indoor plumbing when I grew up, or I didn't have a good air-conditioned classroom, or this or that, or whatever it is. We have a tendency to blame other people, blame other people. The fault is always with others. Count Leo Tolstoy said, Every person wants everyone else in the world to change except them. Everybody else to change except them. Wasn't it Pogo, that marvelous philosopher who said, we have met the enemy and he is, he is us. He is us. We have a built-in tendency to reject the way of the Lord, even though it's the way of life. And we blame others and we look at others and we blame them and we concentrate on them. The Bible says, Jeremiah, our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. And who can know them? We can't know our own hearts unless we have the faith and the courage to look at our hearts through the microscope of the word of God lighted by the Holy Spirit. For our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. Listen to what the Apostle John wrote in his first letter. 1 John 1 verse 5 and following. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, purifies us from all sin. If you had that in the original Greek, what it says is purifies us now and goes on purifying us. It is a constant, perennial, unending purification of our lives that takes place. The moment we accept Jesus Christ, he forgives us of our sin. And then as we walk in faith with him, he continues to constantly purify the springs of the water of life now bubbling up within our spirits, within our souls. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. That's the the worst deception in the world, isn't it? Once we start deceiving ourselves, we start deceiving others. Oh, as Shakespeare said, what a wicked web we weave when first we practice to deceive. And the first deception is when we deceive ourselves. If we claim to be without sin, any of us, all of us, preacher, everybody, Regardless, irrespective of who they are. If we claim to be without it, we deceive ourselves and we don't tell the truth. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, if we look, if we admit, if we accept the grace of God, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, if we claim we have not sinned, 
We make him out to be a liar and the truth is not in us. And his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, and we do after we become Christians, do we sin? Yes, we do. We ask God to forgive us the moment we accept Christ. But we don't become perfect overnight. We'll never be perfect in this life. But he will day by day help us grow in grace, not into grace. We're born into grace by the grace of God. And then we walk in grace and grow in grace. And he continues to forgive us of our sins. He purifies us and he continues to forgive us of our sins and of all unrighteousness. If we confess each day, let me give you just a parenthetical idea about praying. This is just what I do. Doesn't mean what you ought to do or the way you pray. I think generally you ought to begin the day with a prayer of commitment. To say, Lord, here's a day and I thank you for it. Thank you for new life today. And I thank you, you're going to be with me today. And you know, I, I'm having trouble with somebody at work. And you know, I'm worried about the uh, person at school or whatever it might be. So Lord, help me to be the kind of Christian I ought to be today. And we're going to go out and do it and get up and go. And all during the day, I hope you do as I do every now and then, kind of pray a minute prayer. Say, oh Lord, I'm going in to see this person in the hospital. Help me to say the right thing. Just be with me. Talk. You just kind of stay updated with the Lord. But there'll be times when you'll say something you wish you could just reach out and like in a cartoon, reach out and grab those words and pull them back. Or there'll be something you know you ought to do and you forget it or you ignore it or you postpone it because we have sins of omission and sins of commission, sins of the spirit, sins of attitude, all kinds. They come in all shapes and sizes, heavyweight, middleweight, welterweight, lightweight, featherweight. They come in all sizes. And so we come in then at the end of the day and say, Lord, let your prayer in the evening be confession. Now, Lord, I fouled up today. I ask you to help me, forgive me here and there. And I said something I shouldn't say, and I need to apologize to this person tomorrow. And I, I want to update things. And he says, okay, everything's fine. It's all washed away. It's all gone. You know, it's forgiven from the beginning to the end. So just forget it now. And he says he gives to his beloved in sleep. Go ahead and get a good night's sleep. Get up tomorrow. You can do better tomorrow. Things will be better tomorrow. Let that be your prayer program. Commitment and confession. Commitment. So often we begin with confession. So we begin down in the dumps. Begin with a new day. Bright new day. And the promise is that God will be with you throughout that day. You know, they say, they had a survey. They said that the least favorite word in church is sin. We do not like to go to church and hear about Sin. I understand that. Uh, reminds me of the cartoon I saw recently. It was obviously a preacher. He was leaving the house in the morning, big Bible under his arm, dark suit on, walked out the front door, obviously on the way to church. And his wife leans out the front door and she yells at him and says, Don't call them sinners until after the offering. Well, I've already blown that because uh, we haven't taken up the offering yet. And I've already been talking about the fact that all of us are sinners. Now, let me tell you, I don't know about you, but I may look into my own life and heart. And I tell you something, I, and maybe you have a tendency to separate me from my sin. I have a tendency to think, well, now, if you just knew how tired I was, you'd understand why I made that quick statement. If you just understood some of the stresses I'm under, you'd understand why I did what I did. I, have, I don't have a whole lot of trouble rationalizing and justifying and separating me from my sin. 
Now, I don't have a very hard time separating you from your sin. We all grew up hearing the phrase, love the sinner and hate the sin. We have a tendency to love the sin and hate the sinner. We're not to be easy on ourselves and hard on others. We're to be tough on ourselves and compassionate toward others. That's what Jesus said. Begin with ourselves. You know, the Bible is biography and autobiography. It's biography of us. It's the autobiography of God and his work with people. And I want to read you a story that you're probably familiar with. If you've been in this church long, you know my love for David and the Psalms that he wrote and the life that he lived. He had some terrible mistakes in his life, but they're all here, warts and all. And God shows us how he can forgive and does forgive and restore and how there, there are sins that have disastrous consequences in their, uh, in their wake. And uh, you're familiar with this story, I know, from 2 Samuel, the 12th chapter. Let me read it to you. Nathan is the preacher, the prophet of God. Now, in the Old Testament, when the word prophet is used, it doesn't mean someone who's predicting the future. That is not what prophets primarily did. They spoke to a current moment that may have had eschatological or eternal applications, but they spoke to something that was happening at the moment. Pro- prophecy means not foretelling, it means forthtelling. It means telling forth the truth. So here is Nathan, one of God's servants, and David is king. He's now in Jerusalem, united the kingdom, northern kingdom together, the ten northern tribes with the two southern tribes now together, capital no longer in Hebron, but in Jerusalem, palace there. You know the story. His troops out in battle where David should have been. He was lounging around the palace, and here's the story. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, I want to tell you a story. There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one poor little ewe lamb, which he had bought. He raised it, and he grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the guest. He took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan, courageous Nathan, looked at David who had the power of life and death over him. He could have ordered Nathan killed in a second and it would have been done. But the courageous prophet of God looked at David and said, David... You're the man. You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. 
I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what was evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. Then David said to Nathan, he didn't blame Bathsheba, didn't blame his glands. He just said uh, six words. I have sinned against the Lord. Face it. Those are the six words that will turn darkness to light and put all the stars back in your sky. We begin there because we are the man. Oh, we may not have done what David did or others have done. We may not have killed someone or committed adultery or stolen something, but you and I are the man for all have sinned and come short of the glory of the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. The Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. But because by doing this you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, you're going to have some problems. The consequences of your actions are going to follow you. Sin always has consequences, sometimes more obvious in the lives of others than in some, but sin always has consequences. If it's not known, if it's not broadcast, if it's not on the news, it nevertheless will spoil and poison the springs from which other people have to drink. Inevitably. Inevitably. Sin carries with it consequences. The Lord will forgive us of our guilt. The Lord will forgive us of our guilt. David's sin was gone. David's sin was gone. Your sin is gone. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. Sin is not good news. It's bad news. Sin's only good news to the media. Sin is not good news. Forgiveness is the good news. Salvation from our sin is the good news. This Bible is the good news of the grace of God. Forgiveness is for anybody and everybody. And the key is whether or not we accept or reject that forgiveness. For we've sinned, all of us have. And if we don't blame others, if we don't try to excuse ourselves, if we just face up to the fact and say, yes, that's who I am, that's what I've done, only God knows some of the thoughts I've thought, some of the desires I've had, oh God, I bring them to you, your sins are forgiven. That's the great news of the gospel of the Son of God. Reject or accept, that's the key. That's the difference between heaven and hell here and heaven and hell in eternity. Accept. The gracious forgiveness of God. Now I want to say a second word about the sin, first of rejection, and now the sin of pride and self-satisfaction. The sin of pride 
self-satisfaction. Mr. and Mrs. better than everybody else. I believe that God would have us today to get some perspective in our thinking. Let me urge you to take your eyes off of the president for a few moments, not minimizing the seriousness of his actions and whatever consequences may follow. Take your eyes off the president for a moment and let's look at ourselves. Look into my heart. You look into your heart. Take your eyes for a few moments off the White House and look at your house. The source of morality in America begins in my house, in my heart, and my house. We hope it expresses itself in offices of responsibility throughout the world. But Buckner Fanning is responsible for Buckner Fanning's heart, desires, commitment, faith. And I'm responsible with Martha to say, for us and our house, we will serve the Lord. We make that conscious commitment. With Joshua we say it. For me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Whatever they do in anybody else's house, whatever they do at school, whatever they do at work, I'm responsible for my heart and my life. If everybody in the class smokes marijuana, you don't have to. If everybody in the school has premarital sex, you don't have to. If everybody in your group has extramarital sex, you don't have to. I am responsible for my own heart and life and relationship to God. And as George W. Truett used to say, whatever you do, do what's right. Do what's right. If the heavens fall, I can hear him echoing in my mind. If the heavens fall, do right. Do right. Do right. It's up to me. It's up to you individually, primarily, my heart, my house, my life. My, the pride that's permeating our society. We have the pride of face, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. The pride of race, racial superiority, and what a sin that is. And then the worst pride of all is the pride of grace. The pride of grace. How insidious it is to think, oh, because I'm... Christian, I know the Lord. I am teacher's pet. Pride. If the Apostle Paul were standing here right now, do you know what he would say? He wouldn't be talking about Caesar. Hear him from his own words. I am the chief of sinners. I am. I know more about myself than anybody else. He says, I know what's going on in my heart. I know the desires I have. I know the temptations that rage through my spirit like a forest fire. I know those. And I thank God for his controlling power, his grace. 
and for his governing power in my life, I'm potentially the worst sinner in all the world. He doesn't talk about Caesar. He talked about himself and his relationship to God. I am the biggest sinner. I am the chief of sinners. Pride of grace. Listen to the story Jesus told. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You know Jesus. Many of you know him very well. Think about him a moment. Think about him and remember that he never condemned obvious badness as much as, as, much as he did obvious goodness. The scathing words of denunciation falling from the lips of Jesus were not directed nearly so often to those who had sinned and been found out as to those who had sinned but had not been found out. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. Woe unto you, self-righteous folks. You look good on the outside. This is Jesus talking, not Buckner. You look good on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones and all kinds of uncleanliness. Well, has Isaiah prophesied of you play actors saying, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Where's your heart? Buckner, where's your heart? Oh, you can stand up and speak. You can stand up and teach. You can stand up and read the Bible. Where's your heart? Where is your heart? Romans tells us that all the world will stand guilty before God. Romans 3rd chapter. 2 Corinthians 5.10 So then every one of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of the deeds done in the flesh. And my only hope when I stand before the judgment of God to give an account of the deeds done in the flesh is that my advocate Jesus Christ is going to step up and put his arms around me and say, Father, I have forgiven him. He has trusted me. His sins are forgiven and you'll walk into the house of life forever and ever. But what about those who've rejected? Who say, I don't accept his grace. I won't accept his forgiveness. I won't accept his love. I want to plead my case. All I want before God is justice. Well, brother, the last thing I want is justice when I stand before God. I want grace. I want grace, as the Bible says, greater than all my sin. That's some load of grace. Greater than all my sin. Now, you know that you don't need to confess your sins to Buckner Fanning. Because I don't have nail prints in my hands. You can't confess your sin to any human being. And that solved the problem. 
you need to talk to the one person who does have nail scars within his hand, and he is the one who forgives sin. I will encourage you, as others have encouraged me, I will pray for you. I will endeavor to understand, but I don't even need to know. Do you realize that no one in the world needs to know but God and you? It's a very personal, intimate matter between you and God. Just talk to Him. And He will forgive you of your sins. I will encourage you, as others will, and pray for you. But some people feel that they've got to get rid of their guilt by passing it on to other people. They can't handle it, don't know what to do with it, and can't forgive it. Take it to Christ. Take it to Him. Your sins are forgiven. Do you remember the street walker that crashed the party where Jesus was having dinner with Simon and some Pharisees? And she came in and she got at his feet and began to weep and tears on his feet and she wiped them dry with her hair from her head and then she kissed his feet and then she poured perfume on them. She didn't say a word to Jesus. But Jesus said a word to her. He said, her sins, which are many, And if you read the scripture, you'll notice he didn't go through them one by one. There are many. That's all you're going to hear. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Go in peace. And wherever you've been, whatever you've done, Bring your life to Christ. Bring your failures to Christ. Bring your sin of attitude and spirit and pride and lust or hate or whatever it might be. Bring it to Christ and say, oh God, forgive me. Now, if the consequences of my sin has hurt someone else, I need to ask their forgiveness. They know about it. If they know about it and I've been the perpetrator of that, I need to ask their forgiveness. And make restitution if possible. But I confess it to the one who has the nail prints in his hand. He takes away all our sins and forgives all of our iniquities. That is good news. Maybe you'd like to come this morning. Just kneel and pray and talk to the Lord and return to your seat. Maybe you just want to stand there a moment in silence as we sing in a moment and just do some personal, private business with God. Maybe you're already doing that. I hope you are. And I am. Or to come accepting Christ as your Savior as a young girl did this morning in the earlier service. Or to come join this church as a couple did this morning, say, I want to be a part of this fellowship. Wherever you're coming from, that, irrespective of that, wherever you're coming from, whoever you are, wherever you've been, how far away you might have been, you're welcome home.
Your sins are forgiven. You can walk in the peace of God and you can become a part of a fellowship of men and women who are confessing sinners saved by the love and grace of our great Savior. Would you trust him? Do so. Let's stand, let's sing.